Welcome to you who are here and those of you who are watching from home, whether now or later in the week. So in the Gospels, Jesus teaches a lot about two topics, the surprising upside-down nature of the kingdom of God and about money and possessions. And our passage this morning is a two-for-one, the kingdom of God and money, an intersection of these two important topics in Jesus' teaching. So let's pray as we open the scripture. Pray with me. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to your good news. And Lord, guide my words as I share about your good wisdom and your hope for our lives together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So listen to our scripture reading for today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a familiar passage, isn't it? But this, this is a new story that Jesus had for his followers about wealth, benevolence, and our intentions. The story is that the kingdom is theirs. It's the disciples. God desires good things for them together for Jesus' followers. Stories are powerful. They form value. They make tangible changes in the lives of people. This is true for all humankind. We create meta-stories for our lives that form meaning, that give us direction. Sometimes we receive these stories from others, and sometimes we're not fully aware of the stories that we have embedded in our minds and souls. We're not fully aware of the stories that form us. So let me give you an example of the power of a story, and it's from the world of finance, just to make the point that this is universal. Stories are powerful. So a type of story, the efficient market theory. That's what I learned in business school, is that the purchasers of a company's stock always calculate and incorporate everything they know about a company in an analytical way, the total value of a company is all the fundamentals of everything that company will earn from sale of their products or services. Everything they produce plus the value of their assets, assets plus the value of their good reputation and special ways that they can produce their products that no one else can replicate. Sounds orderly, right? Sounds analytical. But in reality, companies are filled with people who make decisions, who make up stories about their values and how they should act. And the story they believe about their values is more important than you might believe. Does anyone remember the Tylenol poisonings of the 80s? Some of us were a little young. Some of us weren't. Someone put cyanide in capsules and put them back on the shelf in stores in Chicago. Nine people died. People were so frightened, they didn't know how widespread it was. No one knew the extent of the contamination or where it happened in the production line. 
Johnson & Johnson was the company who made Tylenol, still does, and their stock plummeted on this news because everyone thought no one would ever be confident in their product again, and it would be costly. It was tragic. The company's leaders could tell one of two stories. They could deny and deflect, say, it happened outside of our production stream. It's not our fault. They could claim it's beyond their control. They could focus on defending their good name. That would be one option. Or the other option might be they could choose not to waste their time defending themselves. And they could just take all the product off the market. They could advertise for people to return it and get refunded. And that's what they did. They recalled everything. The story that the company's leaders told themselves was that their customers' health was more important. And they recalled some 30 million bottles, millions and millions of dollars of product. They didn't pay attention to the stock market analysts who might have said, don't, don't take everything back. That might be admission that maybe you were at fault. Maybe there was mismanagement. Instead, the company's management, they defined their story as protecting their customers' health rather than protecting their company's brand. And in the end, protecting customers first actually helped them protect the company's brand. It wasn't their aim, but customers trusted them, and the tamper-resistant packaging that they developed became a standard, and they quickly regained lost market. Here's a picture of my medicine cabinet. Maybe yours looks the same. It's the power of a story. Stories we tell ourselves about our values and our wealth, they guide us in our decisions too. Because it's not just for organizations, for churches and families, it's for us as individuals. So we need to examine the stories that we believe about wealth. Jesus knows we need guidance around money. That's why he talked about it so much. Jesus understands our human emotions and fears around wealth and possessions in a very clear and loving way. Do not be afraid, little flock, is what Jesus said. He was lovingly addressing his disciples. And what was the context for these disciples? They were mostly working class people, people who held on to their possessions to sustain themselves and their family land, dwellings, storehouses to hold food, livestock, fishing boats and nets. Those were the things they had. Some of them didn't have a lot. Wealth was kept in possessions rather than in coinage. So people knew each other's wealth. They saw it. They'd know if you were a person with a storehouse of food, if you had one cow or a herd. They'd know if you had a good fishing boat and lots of nets. Most of these people following Jesus didn't have a stash of wealth. There weren't banks where you'd earn interest. You'd want your possessions to be working for you. Coinage was just created by rulers mostly to receive taxes. Most people would have to sell their possessions and pay those taxes. And charity and almsgiving, that was public. Philanthropy in Roman times was really for strategic power purposes, for showing what you earned and what you could let go of and sell. It was expected to encumber the receiver with obligations, whether a debt or merely appreciation and thanks. 
But Jesus instructs in a different way. So my former boss, a theologian and Lukean scholar, Joel Green, this is what he wrote. At work in Jesus' instruction is a subtle but significant shift in the forms of reciprocity familiar through the Roman world. Disinvestment and almsgiving grounded in a thoroughgoing commitment to the kingdom of God are to be practiced in recognition that God is the supreme benefactor who provides both for the giver and for the recipient. Such giving has the effect of not placing persons in debt, but rather embracing the needy as members of one's own circle. So Jesus is suggesting something novel. Instead of a purse that's intended to be transactional, to pay taxes, to be used for strategic giving that makes you look good, your purse or wallet should be a place that connects to your heart, not your status, a way to embrace others when you give, rather than create separation, rather than to create obligation. Jesus, Jesus ushered in an upside-down kingdom where the king empties himself of privilege and power, raising up others. Jesus creates a new story of what the kingdom is to be. The kingdom he's granting his followers is one where resources are to be shared. And yet, his followers have legitimate fears about their need for food, for shelter. They each have their own experience and story around their needs. That's the human condition. It's our human condition, isn't it? We are all born vulnerable. We're all born needy in fragile bodies. And we have feelings and fears about our needs that we learn from our families, from our experiences, and from our communities. And Jesus knows the stories that we tell ourselves about wealth have particular power, particular power in shaping our feelings and our fears. So last week, Pastor Dave encouraged us to pay attention to our lives right now, to cultivate gratitude and thanksgiving, and to develop opportunities to express our thankfulness. He invited us to be attentive right now to the blessings that surround us. This week, I'm encouraging us to be attentive and look back. Look back and pay attention at our formative past, to the stories that we tell ourselves about money and the feelings that we have about those stories. Because the stories that you tell are powerful. They form your reality. They form your reality to make a new story about your wealth, about your power, about the purpose of your own purse. Jesus said, make purses for yourself that don't wear out. Actually, that could be translated differently, saying make purses that aren't old and obsolete. So do we have an old and obsolete story about wealth? Let's examine this for ourselves. And I'm right there examining my own story with you. I've been thinking about wealth, and not just because of this sermon topic assigned to me. <laughs> I got a beautiful envelope in the mail recently, a couple weeks ago. It was heavy, beautiful, stationary, fancy like people use for weddings. You know, you open the flap and it's lined. 
and it was from the University of Chicago Business School where I received my MBA 25 years ago. And it was an invitation to an expensive seminar at a fancy hotel to consider how I might, with my other classmates who graduated 25 years ago, how I might invest in my great wealth that I've developed. Where I might develop my personal values about philanthropy and investing in the next generation. And I looked at it and it really struck me hard. I held on to it for a while it, and it struck me as a bit audacious. Who were they to help develop people's values? <laughs> That's my business. But it was humbling and challenging too. Did everyone else create significant wealth such that they sent this to all the class? At the time, I didn't think, oh, thank you, God, for this interesting sermon illustration. <laughs> My thoughts were, God, have I made enough of a difference doing your work? Because I could have followed this alternative path, and I could have invested in interesting um, endeavors for the future. And then I thought, Lord, I don't want to think about this. I recycled it. I got some chocolate. I clearly was feeling and thinking emotionally because it would have made a great slide, right? <laughs> Seriously, why did that letter make me feel emotional? It's not like surprising news, anybody, right? That my earnings don't track with my other MBA classmates who went and worked in financial markets. That I took a different road, and while sometimes it's been hard, I wouldn't change it for anything. I wouldn't change my course. So why did I have an emotional reaction? It's because, like the rest of us, I have an old story about money that pops up and engages my feelings. Now, I remember the first time I was aware of money and making a choice and a purchase. I was probably around six or seven with an idea of the furniture I wanted in my room. My mom and I were redecorating my room, a big girl room. And I probably didn't have a good way of describing what I had in mind. So when I saw something in a store window, I pointed it out to my mom. And she said, well, let's go in and buy it. And we bought it. It looked a lot like this picture. And my impression was that she didn't ask or inquire about the price. That may not have been true, but that was my story. So my story about money is my family, we didn't talk about it. We assumed all was well, and it was. My mom never asked my dad about purchases in front of me, and they never talked about money in our presence. My dad made money, my mom wrote checks, and that was it. Everything was good and safe and pleasant and not discussed, all the way through my college tuition that they paid, and beyond. So even after I got a bachelor's degree in finance from Santa Clara University and an MBA from the top business school in the country, I'm still more influenced by this childhood approach and story about my personal money and finances than my expensive education. Now, I don't want to think about my own money. I'm great with everybody else's. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't examine my own money or talk about it because when I have to, it makes me uneasy and fearful. Even if it's not bad news, even if it's not challenging. And I am like a lot of women. I've had a long history of just taking the salary offered me and not questioning it. And the times I've questioned it, it has made me 
spiral into insecurity and self-doubt and shame. So the story I tell myself about money is if I have to talk about it or plan it, then I'm not really secured. I'm not really valued. So what's your story about money and what's your fear as it relates to money? Maybe you were raised in a family that taught you good stories about wealth, modeled kingdom living. Maybe you've learned it as an adult and it's really embedded in you. But here's some questions to consider for the rest of us. Are your current circumstances different than you'd imagined? Do you have an emotional reaction to that? Was money tight in your growing up years? Or maybe were you ashamed of your family's different resources and their options compared to your friends? Or were things comfortable and easy, and for you, comfortable and easy equates love and security? Are you living a lifestyle where you need more income than what's coming in? Do you know what your retirement income stream will be? You know, sometimes we're not rational about money. We buy things we don't need, and we don't buy the things we need because our feelings are driving our choices. So these might be clues that we have some formative stories, old stories, that we might invite Jesus to help us examine. But let me say this. We need to examine our stories with grace, asking God to shine a kind light into the past as we consider our fears and emotions, those fears and emotions that money and possessions can bring, to not bring shame, but to bring awareness and freedom. Money is simply a unit of exchange for resources we need, food, shelter, clothing, but it triggers so much more for us, doesn't it? Vulnerable little lambs that we are. We're a flock that needs Jesus' care. And I want to say that if you're someone struggling with many challenges right now, please hear this message as a compassionate understanding why your circumstances might be even more painful, right? And know that your church wants to help you. Please don't be ashamed. Please let us know how we can help you. Because we all must remember that Jesus wants to give us the kingdom. It's a kingdom that we share resources, where we're free not defined by our wealth or status. We have the joy of being defined by our heart. Where's our heart? We want to be part of the story of our church, coming to see, go, and do God's purpose. We want to be coming together in faith. We want to be coming together in action so that all would thrive, not giving to earn credit from God. We want to be guided by grace and discernment, we don't want to be bound by fear and scarcity. We want to be people who understand that money is never our ultimate security in life, but it's a tangible resource, and we've got work to do with it. And I know it isn't easy. I'm reminded that Pastor Dave often says he wants to make membership easy because being a disciple is hard, and this is one of the hard parts. And we all need to make our own personal decisions, our own steps in following God. Each of us are different, and each of us contribute in different ways. I appreciate the, I appreciate the encouragement of this writer, Donald Craybill, and what he wrote. We're accountable not for grandiose solutions to world problems, but for our own personal obedience to our knowledge of the gospel. 
So friends, let's make new stories for ourselves about possessions. Let's reject the old stories and old purposes, old pur purses that don't help us, that don't lead us to God's purpose for our lives. With Jesus' help, we can do this. So let's not be afraid. Let's embrace the freedom in our new story, the story that awaits us, all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you.